0: Wayne, can you you share from the Gospels uh, so that we can hear the words, and then I'll uh, reflect on them a
1: bit. Yeah, so this is um, from Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. Thanks, Twain. Uh,
0: this is a great story. Uh, have you ever noticed a wisteria vine? Wisteria can look absolutely beautiful for a few weeks a year. Uh, the, the cascading purple cluster of flowers, they, they just kind of hang effortlessly. From the limbs of the trees and they turn the the forest into this wash of pastels. Uh, The problem with wisteria is that that beauty only lasts about two weeks a year and uh, the rest of the year wisteria vines slowly choke out every single tree that comes into its viney grass. It's a horribly, horribly invasive plant. In the woods right behind our fence, uh, wisteria has grown untouched for several decades. Uh it's climbed 60 feet high now and uh it's killed just about nearly killed just about every tree within its view and killed many others. Uh it's it's blanketed the ground with vines so thick that it's impossible to even walk through it. Um I've I've taken it upon myself over the last few weeks to uh to try to make a difference uh with the slow choke of this invasive plant and uh, by chopping off the snake-like vine uh, from trees. And more recently, I've been trying to clear out the, the ground brush layer of, uh, of ground vines and their, and their leaves. Because if I get them, maybe I can stop them at their source. Uh, I want to try to show you. So we're gonna, we're gonna just try this for a minute, and I'm gonna flip devices.
1: Okay, I'm unmuted now. Are we good?
0: Okay, great. Here we go. Let's see. Let's see how uh, how we can do with this. I'm gonna take you on a little a little walk. Okay. So I'm assuming that you can hear me, and if you can't, the challenge is that I won't know it until uh, until I get back to my desk. But we're gonna go up into the woods behind my house. And, Ken, you're the only face I can see. Can you give me a thumbs up that you can hear me all right and see me okay? All right, great. So, um, this is one of the wisteria vines that, uh, that we pulled out. As you can see, it's, uh, it's rather intense. Um, in fact, it came from this tree where it had been growing for about 30 years, we think. I just got sap all over my hand. Um, if you look at what our land looked like back here, you can see that this is what happens when wisteria goes unchecked all over the place. Behind me is what I've been doing slowly uh, and clearing out. And so the other day, what happened was I was with my weed whacker and uh, my, string, my string trimmer, and I was trying to, to cut out the low brush. And it was incredibly, incredibly frustrating um, because uh, every, every couple of feet what would happen is I would uh, wrap around a vine that was too big, that was on the ground. And you know what happens when you're doing that with a weed whacker? And uh, your vine and, and your string wraps around a vine and you kind of lurch forward because uh, it grabs the vine. And the, my little two-cylinder engine was coming to this kind of lurching, lurching stop. And I kept getting overly frustrated
1: over and over and over again. All right. Back to my computer. One second. Okay. We good. Yes. Excellent. Um, and
0: so I have sap all over my hands. That was definitely not expected. Um, so, uh, so what ends up happening was I've got, um, I've got this, uh, this, this problem where I'm, I'm trying to weed whack and, and my weed whacker keeps stopping and keeps lurching forward. And, uh, and I get frustrated right in the middle. Um, and, uh, and you know, I realized that I wasn't using the right tool and I love justifying the ability to buy something new. I have to just admit that when it comes to tools. Um, and so I realized that what I really needed was a metal brush clearing attachment that could go onto my weed whacker that has like a little metal, um, wheel that just chops through all the thick stuff. But as, as, my, uh, as my string caught yet another vine, and I'm, I'm out there alone, um, I, I, I jolt forward, and without thinking, I just kind of exclaim, Gah, this,
1: this kind only comes
0: out with prayer. And it was one of those moments, and I laughed very cleverly to myself, which happens a lot at my biblical wit. I find, I find myself incredibly clever. Um, my family's told me it's about as entertaining as, as my dad jokes, uh, but it got me thinking about our world. And it got me thinking about this story of Jesus and his disciples and this little boy with such a deeply rooted problem. And, and I find this story fascinating because Jesus is in a little bit of rare form during this, this story. And so the, the first thing that we find out, um, or not the first thing, but one of the first things is, um is that there's, there's this problem that's come up and the problem has come up because the disciples promised that they were going to fix something and, uh, (laughs) and they didn't. And so there was this kind of argument that's happening about what's happening and what, what can or can't happen. And so Jesus comes and he's, he's late to the scene, right? Um, so Jesus shows up and says, what's going on? And a man says, Hey, my son, has been possessed by this this evil spirit and it's it's just destroying his life uh and and it's and and um it throws him to the ground and and i asked your disciples to do something about it but they couldn't and jesus's response is you unbelieving generation so so you can you can sense it's a very interesting uh response and he's talking at this point, he's talking to his disciples, or he's at least referencing his disciples because he says it right on the tail end of a statement that says, I tried, or I asked your disciples, can you help? And they tried, and they couldn't. And Jesus says, oh, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long should I put up with you? And boy, that's an intense statement. You can, you can hear the frustration in Jesus' voice. Jesus is allowed to be frustrated, by the way. Sometimes we don't allow frustration in Jesus. Jesus is allowed to be frustrated at the slow growth of his disciples. Um, bring the boy to me, he says. So, so when, they, when they bring the boy to him, they see the pain that the boy's going through. And, uh, and he says, how long has it been like this? And the father says, since childhood, um, which means that it's been a long time. He says, it's often thrown him into the fire and tried to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And then Jesus, <laughs> again, I think Jesus is in a little bit of rare form, but Jesus leans in and says, if, if I can, if I can do anything, um, or if, if you can, uh, and he says, but then he looks, he looks at this man and he says, everything is possible for one who believes. And remember, believes is the same word for trusts. And I think in today's day and age where we separate belief as this head thing versus action, I think we need to remember that every time we read belief in the New Testament, Pastuo, it means trust for everyone who trusts in me, okay, is what's kind of implied there. Um, and by the way, this is the second time Jesus used the word belief. It's the first unbelieving generation, he's, he's talking in reference to his disciples. And then, so, so the ones who are supposed to be doing the helping, he says, oh, you just don't get it quite yet. And then the one who is dealing with the hurt, he says, believe. I need you to believe too. So it's, it's everybody that's being called into a new layer and level of belief. And and the the father immediately responds and says, I I do believe, or at least in in idea, I want to believe. So help me in the areas that I can't trust yet or in the areas that I'm not trusting very well. And so then Jesus rebukes the spirit and he commands him to leave. And there's this amazing kind of moment of the spirit leaving him and the boy collapsing, but he's not dead. They worry that he is and they pick him up and the boy begins to come back to life again. But the really interesting part of the story is that later, when, when they're removed from the embarrassing earshot of the public, okay, you can tell the disciples, this was a hard one on them. When they're removed from the earshot of the public, the disciples ask Jesus, why, why couldn't we do it? Why, why did we try? Because apparently what's been happening, and we see this throughout the, gospel, throughout the gospels, the disciples are on this kind of justice and compassion tour. Caring, giving the good news of Jesus, but healing the sick, caring for the poor, doing all these great things to much celebration. So, why couldn't we drive this one out? They ask Jesus. And Jesus responds simply, This kind can come out only with prayer. That's a powerful statement, <laughs> except for one thing there is no prayer at any point in this story. Jesus makes this incredible statement but no one ever says a prayer. So what's going on? This is where good Bible readers ask, what's really going on? So I'm glad that you're asking that. Uh, Clearly Jesus is not talking about saying the right words in the right order for 30 seconds in order to have power. Okay, what Jesus is talking about is a way of life where compassion, action, and prayer are all as vital as our breathing itself. There's an unnecessary complicated relationship, an unnecessarily complicated relationship of Christ followers between action and prayer. It is a false duality that is neither Christ-like nor helpful in bringing the kingdom about. Both are needed. Our lives must be built on the rock of prayer that is expressed in the beauty of redemptive action. The disciples had yet to learn this. And and by the way, Mark is just brutal on the disciples. Um, The disciples in the book of Mark, Mark highlights every single time they don't get it. Mark highlights Jesus' frustration with them. And yet he sticks with them. So there's great hope there for us. Both are needed in our lives, prayer and action. We pray and then we get to work. And as we work, we pray more. And then when we're done working, we pray for God to multiply our efforts and our faithful love by the power of his spirit. And we get up the next day and we pray and we work. And we know that the deep stuff, the stuff that's been around for a long time in us and in our world can never be pulled out by action alone not within us or around us. I know my stuff only comes out with prayer. My laziness, my self-interest, my greed, my arrogance, my prejudices, these things rarely get solved simply by pushing harder and harder. But prayer, prayer changes my mind. Prayer changes how I see the other. Prayer changes how I view God. Prayer changes how much power I have to live righteously in the world around me. It's interesting. The Wall Street Journal uh, recently published that Google searches for prayer skyrocketed in March as the coronavirus hit. As the pandemic tightened its grip on the whole world, everybody was searching for prayer. Isn't that fascinating? There's something in us all that seems drawn to pray in difficult and and painful times. Uh, But then there's something else in us that tells us to move on quickly after a minute or two, as if it's a task to be done rather than a life to be lived. Why is it that as, as Christ fi- followers, a life of prayer still seems to be such a rarity? Do we, do we believe that there are things truly, do we listen to Jesus and believe him when he says that these things only come out with prayer? There are things that can only come out with the foundation of prayer, the deepest, nastiest stuff, the most ingrown stuff within us and in our world, the ones that torment, the ones that throw people to the ground. That is the problem, and prayer is where power lies in those things. Do we really believe that the things that are most deeply rooted can only come out with prayer? I don't think so. I I think, unfortunately, and I, I think we have to call ourselves on this sometimes, I think we've become jaded to a life of depth of prayer that transforms us because so many times we've seen the all too common phrase, thoughts and prayers, when they've been used to respond to preventable tragedies with no movement for care in the lives of many people to find a better way. I get that. But we cannot as Christ followers decide that one of the most central teachings of Jesus about the kingdom is no longer valid because a politician tweets thoughts and prayers. We can't decide that. I mean, get used to it. In, in, in the United States, we have heard prayer used in so many wrong ways, right? Most of the words that sound Christian in our country have very little to do with Jesus. Jesus is radically different than all of the kingdoms of the world always will be. So as disciples, we will always be radically different from the systems of the world, even when we're participating in them in, in one way or another. And so as much as many of us, and I hope all of us want to be people of action, we are not sustainable if we simply act for God without a foundation of truly being with God. A life of prayer, according to Jesus, will lead to a life of power. And I know that sounds like, uh, that sounds like a life of prayer will lead to a life of power. It sounds like uh, the main point from like a Rolls Royce driving Saturday night live televangelist. You know, a life of prayer leads to a life of power. And everybody chants it back. A life of prayer. But, but even a blind squirrel stumbles on a nut sometimes. And, uh, and so maybe, maybe they're right about this. But it's the type of power that we're talking about that makes it so radical. The type of power that we see in the scriptures that Jesus represents is power under and not power over. It's never power that lords itself over another one. It's using our voice to care, to serve, to support those who are hurting. It's using every opportunity to influence through compassion. We go off the rails if we don't join Jesus in the deep places that allow us to get to that point. Um, we're too selfish to survive otherwise. Maybe the real idea is this we we will have the capacity to act and love powerfully if we're so deeply grounded and rooted in Jesus that it's his spirit that we're trusting to do the work of the kingdom and not simply ours. Honestly, I don't trust my spirit that much. I can do good things on a good day, kingdomish things even, but the next day I don't feel like it anymore or I get mad at somebody, or I get discouraged at the state of the world, and then I can be like, I'm done. Just as easy as that, and I can check out. But I can't do that if my life is grounded on on prayer, on, on deeper connection with Jesus. There will be too much of God's love in me. There will be too much hope to live in a state of constant despair, and I have felt that. There's so much disconnection. There's so much hurt. The stories that I continue to read of my my friends, the conversations, uh, specifically among my friends of color, are, are absolutely ripping me apart right now because I haven't taken the time to really listen. But, but with Jesus, there's too much hope to live in that state of of despair. There's too much understanding that comes, no matter where you're at, to hate your neighbor. There's too much motivation to change the world to just give up. If we are founded and understand that some things only come out with prayer. We've been having a lot of conversations lately about justice and committing to the work of justice and anti-racism and committing to the work of prayer. Those are not separate things. Um, So how does it look? Uh, Well, let's start with just real quick. almost done here, but real quick, let's just talk about how it shouldn't look, especially these days. A couple wrong ways to pray according to what we see exampled in the scriptures. Um, One wrong way to pray is, uh, Lord, help me convince everyone why they're wrong. Okay, you got things backwards here, friends. Um, How about, Lord, help me humbly see what is true. That's the posture that we seek to be. It's easy to live in the desire to convince everybody why they're wrong. It's much harder to seek truth humbly, to honestly seek after what's true. This is about changing our head. Um, our, Our heart also matters, though. A wrong way to pray, Lord, destroy the bad guys. Not a helpful way to pray. Sometimes it's our honesty, and there is space for that. You see that in the Psalms a lot. But our fight, as we're told over and over again, and as we see in Jesus, is not against flesh and blood, Paul says, but against the powers and principalities of this age. The moment that we start thinking that people are wholly evil, and I know this is hard, friends, I know it, because we all want to go there, but that's the moment that we start to lose sight of God's image. All of us can be tempted to evil. We need to be praying for good to prevail, and for God, not, not primarily for God to curse the evil people. That is not justice. Justice means that people are treated with fairness, not just that there is punishment for the bad folks. That's not the biblical view of justice. Restoration is the biblical view of justice. So we want people to experience wholeness and restoration, all of them, the good guys, the bad guys, the oppressed, the oppressor. That's, that's really radical. It's a very unpopular opinion, but it's the gospel. Uh, so, so instead um, of, of living where we think that people are evil, we leave justice up to God, number one, and we pray for goodness and transformation of the lives of anyone that falls into the category of enemy on any given day. So instead of this idea of destroy the bad guys, we we ask for the courage and strength to serve, to use our hands in the right ways, not just to live out of our heads. So here's just an encouragement to what this can look like in our lives. Um, Number one, make sure that there's a private element of your prayer life. Get literally get in your closet. Find time away from anyone where you cannot justify yourself of, I'm doing the holy thing by praying because they know it. And instead, just find a place that you can be real in privacy with Jesus. Okay? Get out your journal. Be still. Truly still. Listen to the words of Jesus in the gospel. Really look. Another way is to uh, to read the prayers and read the stuff from dead people. Um, I encourage, we sometimes, everything that we hear is by somebody uh, from from this generation. Um, Instead, read some of the classic prayers of the saints. As you're working for racial justice, read the prayers written by those who have been oppressed in previous generations. They are powerful and transformative, and they take us to a deeper, humbler place with Jesus. Um, Also, find some friends. So I just said, get in your closet, but also find friends. Uh, the, the time that we have had uh, a number of us on, on prayer, uh, on Zoom, Zoom prayer during our weekdays for, t- for 10 minutes a day, excuse me, has impacted my life so beautifully. Because there's others that are on the journey together. They teach me humility. They teach me to have a posture of openness to Jesus. They teach me about different perspectives and they help me connect with God because God promises us that wherever there's multiple people gathered in his name, there's a unique presence that is available. And we saw that and we've been seeing that. That lifts me when I'm discouraged. And finally pray with hands ready and eyes open to actually move in new directions. Again, we have created a false dichotomy between prayer and action. Sometimes we think, well, what we need to do is act. No more prayer. But you won't be sustained and you might lose your way and if you say well well, all we need to do is pray and that's the posture that's the christian way of doing things that is not true either christians have been among the leading voices for beautiful work for justice mercy and compassion and poverty all around the world since the beginning prayer is is integrating it's it's the bringing together of things that's why it's so powerful right now life is disintegrating relationships are often on the verge of disintegrating. Many of us are sensing how our justice system has disintegrated, particularly for certain people. Um, things are so quickly divided up right now. Even our approaches to working for good can disintegrate if we're not careful. Integration is what we long for. Integration brings people together. And prayer integrates the next decision I make with the heart of God. And, and, and it reminds me that I am working with Jesus who loves me and the world with this self-giving, life-sacrificing type of love, both me and the world. Prayer integrates my life with the life of Jesus so that as I walk around, I walk as an ambassador of Christ who lives in me. Prayer integrates my life with the life of my neighbor, the life of my family, the life of my enemy, all under one banner of love so that I can act according to the heart of Jesus. So that, that is the sort of thing that can uproot wisteria vines, even though they're deeply embedded in the grounds of our hearts and our society. It takes allowing ourselves to be changed by God and trusting God so deeply that we get to live out of that power. Um, and we can do this, friends. Jesus, Jesus tells us that it's his burden to bear if we join with him. He'll take the load and we join in the work. Read Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Jesus says, you join with me in work, and your spirit will still be able to find times of rest because I will bear the load and you walk with me. That's the only way we can keep after truly living, and working for righteousness, for good, for beauty in the world year after year. Much like my own soul, the only way. Um, Jesus, Jesus uses this horrible, challenging word, unbelieving, in this story because. People are trying to do everything on their own strength. Um, So the question is, what do you need to bring to Jesus this morning? Where might you need a new level of integration in your life? Where is the deep stuff in you and around you that you can honestly say, I think this can only come out with prayer. I'm listening, Jesus. Let's, Let's pray. Jesus, like the father of this boy, and like I assume the posture of the disciples afterwards, we proclaim, we, we believe, but help us in our unbelief. Help us in our self-reliance. Help us when bitterness threatens to take us over or despair threatens to take us over. When instead of moving toward you, we subtly suggest that prayer is a worthless effort. Help us get to work, Lord, in the right ways, but help us be in tune with your spirit enough so that we might be defining the right ways according to your heart. Help us to stand with our brothers and sisters that are hurting. Help us to intercede on their behalf. We pray that you uproot the deep-seated vines of hatred, separation, injustice, and selfishness that are within us and in our world, Lord. We trust you for this. We are walking through challenging, challenging times, but we commit to being people of love every step of the way, no matter how much it might hurt. We need you, Jesus. We openly acknowledge that. We are so thankful for the grace and the joy that is still available any moment because you have set us free, because you lead us into a new life and a new tomorrow. We trust you, Jesus.
1: We trust you. We proclaim that your faithfulness is great. Help us in our unbelief. Amen.